sacrifice that we would offer reasonable service that because of what Jesus did for us we by our own choice motivated by love and a desire to please him do what he asks us to do and love other people now last week we looked at that foundation of reasonable service which is agape love and then we saw that God in his mercy also says I understand you struggle with agape love so let's just do phileo love uh, he talks about that I think in uh, verse uh, uh, let's see, verse 8, either verse 9, 10, verse 10, and um, tells us basically just be nice to one another. Now, tonight, or this morning, excuse me, we're going to begin another Greek paragraph. That's kind of how I broke this chapter down, is by the paragraph breakings in the original language. So this begins, the verse we're starting today begins a new paragraph in the original, and um, uh, it's uh, another perspective on this idea where God is challenging his believers, his children, hey, let's be reasonable. So I want to show you over the next couple of weeks three things that we can do or how we can be reasonable in our service. Number one this morning, it's all we're going to get to, is number one, uh, how about that, a one-point outline. Yeah. That can be good and that can be bad, right? Some of you are, are catching on. Some of you are going, hey, I think that's a loaded question there. Right? One point outline. Uh, number one, how, how can we be reasonable with our words? Reasonable service occurs with our words. Verse 14 is our, our text today. Uh, Romans 12, verse 14, this new paragraph begins with this thought. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Reasonable service begins with our words. The words that we use, especially with those who persecute us. Now, Jesus gave this same command in the Sermon on the Mount. Most of you are familiar with that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus said, uh, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Even in the uh, epistles in James, James wrote to believers uh, that were going through great trials. In James chapter 3, verse number 10, he made this observation about these believers. He said, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Shouldn't be that way. Now, this is not one of my favorite commandments from our Lord. <laughs> Let me, I, let me start out by saying this is not one of my favorite commands, all right? In all honesty, so, say, I can't believe he said that. Well, God knows it's in my heart. Anyway, Lord, I do not like being nice to people who are not nice to me. I, 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 you know, maybe you're different, but I've seen some of you in Walmart, so um, don't, you don't know what, who's seeing what there. Just someone took the last apple fritter and you were, lost your mind. But I don't like this command, God says, let's be reasonable. If you're seeking to live the Christ life, it will be reflected in our words. Matter of fact, James, in that famous chapter on the tongue, on the mouth, in James chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. That doesn't mean he's without fault. It means he's mature. He's a mature man and able to bridle the whole body. In other words, if you and I can learn to discipline our mouth, and by the way, with our mouth, you know what I found is the same thing with our food that comes into our mouth. See, they're, they're still breaking things. Um, good, progress. Um, 
if you can discipline your mouth, my experience has been that you can discipline yourself in every other area of your life. But if you're a person that's always got to say everything that you think, it's not going to go well for you. Um, and I know I can hear you, but, 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 and, and, and we're going to look here in a minute. There are times, but even when we say things, it should be from a position of under control, not just flying off. And James tells us, if you can do that, you can, boy, you can discipline anything else. Now, this does not mean, I want to be really clear here, that we are always to be pacifists. I know some folks take these verses and say that every time, no matter what anybody does, you just say nothing and, and you say something nice to them. Um, no, we are commanded throughout the New Testament to provide and protect our family and our loved ones. Uh, I remember some people know that uh, there was a time when Jesus sent out the disciples two by two and he said, don't take any money. And he said, don't take a sword. And you know, people say, well, you know, you, should never, you never should defend yourself because Jesus said, don't do that. But they fail to remember that at the very end there in the garden when Jesus was given his last instructions before he'd be arrested and crucified, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 22 and verse 36, but now, that was a faith test that he was giving them back then, but he said, but now he that hath a purse, some money, let him take it, and likewise his script, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So, you know, Jesus was a Second Amendment guy, apparently. And he's saying, if you don't have a, you know, you don't have your own, you know, favorite Glock, you know, go sell your best suit and buy one. And all the men, I'm surprised I'm not getting some amens in here this morning. Although it's not just men. My sister's a much better Mark's, I can't call her Mark's man. I guess I'd call her. My sister's a better Mark's person. No, that's gender neutral. My sister's a, a much better Mark's woman than her, than I am. You know, she's, she's pretty, so I don't, this could be whoever. Jesus said, if you don't have a sword now and you're going out, even when you're going to represent me, it's not wrong to bring a sword to protect yourself. And I'm thankful that um, so many in our country have served in our armed forces, the men and women that have sacrificed to serve, uh, to give us freedom. I think most Americans do not appreciate what we have. And as I'll mention in a moment, unfortunately, much of it, we're watching it disintegrate in front of our eyes. You see, to understand, you say, well, what's the deal? Jesus is saying, take a sword, but then Paul's saying, you know, be nice to people that that persecute. What's going on? How how do these two things square? Well, um, understand the context of each of these when they are given. Uh, Understand that here in Romans chapter 12, who is the reader? Who's the one that this letter is written to? It's written to believers at the church in, in Rome, and it's written directed to these individuals. So Paul is considering individual relationships in view here, especially those inside the church, inside the relationship of other believers. It's still related as Paul has been writing here in Romans chapter 12. You can see the context flow that he's been talking about. Love one another. Be nice to one another. Well, how do I be nice to one another? Well, when someone's mean to you, you can be nice to them in return. Jesus and James, when you consider the Sermon on the Mount and also the letter that James wrote was also written to believers and has individuals in view. You see, the words that you and I use are very powerful. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words 
are as honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs chapter 15 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Into the New Testament, we're commanded to let no corrupt communication, no, no evil words proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Does what you say impart grace? Is it edifying? And you say, well, how do, how do I evaluate that? Well, I think the psalmist in Psalm 19:14 kind of sums it up where the psalmist says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Have you ever considered that the words that come out of your mouth that he knows? And the psalmist wouldn't even so far to say the meditations of my heart. <laughs> That's a tough one because sometimes when somebody does me wrong, I have some meditations in my heart <laughs> thinking about what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do, you know, to get back at DT. You know, I think about these things all week. How can I irritate him this Sunday, you know? It's a meditation of my heart. And are, are we willing to ask God to evaluate God, what am I thinking in my heart that, that eventually, if I don't manage what's in my heart and I don't submit that to you, it's going to come out of my mouth. Now, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks in verse 17 and in verse 19 uh, of Romans 12, we're going to find that this a follow-up thought where Paul goes on to say, don't take vengeance, but instead be a person of forgiveness. But it is true in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 4, we're told to speak the truth in love. And as we've mentioned, uh, we were in our Sunday school class, actually Pastor Danny's the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about having this balance in, in our life of grace and truth. That Jesus Christ was the ultimate and only perfect example of being all grace and all truth and managing that balance perfectly. You and I, we struggle. But we are called to be people of grace and also people of truth. There is nothing wrong for standing passionately for truth. There's nothing wrong with loving confrontation. And sometimes it doesn't always appear loving. <laughs> some, people, some people don't like it. Nothing wrong with it. Sometimes people need it. I think of Paul and Barnabas. And boy, if you don't know your Bible, well, you know, if you don't, let me tell you, these two guys, when Paul came to faith in Christ, it was Barnabas that made the difference in his life. Everybody else was scared of Paul. They didn't want anything to do with him. And Barnabas took him and, and discipled him and loved on him. And these two were, were very close. But we find it along the way in their ministry when they started going out on missions. Uh, the Bible says they had a disagreement about John Mark, about another person in the ministry. And uh, Barnabas wanted to bring him. And Paul said, no, he failed us once. And I don't want to deal with him. And, and the Bible says that, that it was, that, the argument between them was so great that they went separate ways. Now, I don't know, you know, people have thought who's right, who's wrong. I don't know. I'll let the Lord sort that out. Maybe when I get to heaven, <laughs> talk to Paul and say, hey, were you right? I, I, you know, really for me, I'm kind of on team Barnabas, you know, over here. Uh, probably Paul was probably pretty firm and um, he may have been, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that they had to go separate ways and each of them went their way and the Bible tells us that one, Paul went one way and Barnabas went another and he took John Mark with him and they both continued on in the ministry. Sometimes it's okay. You know, you heard me say it from the pulpit and I'll say it again. You know, hey, we're not a perfect church. <laughs> this is not, we're odd Baptists for a reason. We're a bunch of weirdos. We do weird things, say weird things. We're weird. It's okay. 
And sometimes folks come and maybe they get all angry about something. And I, if, if, if you're going to be angry for three, four months, five months, and every time you're going to church you're angry, I'd really encourage you, go somewhere else. There's, there's churches. There, you know, if this one's not the right one, find a better one. There are probably, <laughs> probably ones around. But sometimes if you can't agree on something, it comes to the point where you just have to go separate ways. But we're to bless and not to curse. You know, when you get into ministry, especially the, or let me put it this way, you, you get into serving Christ in your life. You start doing the right thing, and then you take leadership, whether it's leadership in your family, whether leadership inside the church, whether it's like you say, what do you mean leadership? You work in the nursery, you're leading little children. They're watching you. Those little kids, it, it's a big deal to them. Especially, I love that our teenagers serve in, in the nursery with the kids. Those little kids, look at those teen, you teenagers, you're, you're, you're the bomb. They're watching how you behave. You're a leader. But whenever you decide you're going to be a leader, it, it puts you in a position also where others might be critical of the, your leadership style. <laughs> they, they might be. And it hurts. If you're going to serve God, you're going to get involved. You've got to be willing to take some arrows. And sometimes when someone says something that you disagree with, the right thing to do is pray about it. And I love it when the Holy Spirit says to me, okay, either because of the leadership position that God has given me as a pastor, or maybe it's just an individual relationship, God says, this person that is having this issue, they need a healthy dose of truth. And if you've been in our church any length of time, and you've allowed me as your pastor to be in your life, and you've gone through some things you probably have heard some direct words of truth from me. And I can tell you the people that I have the most respect for is when they hear words of truth, that they don't attack the messenger, but they evaluate the truth claim. But when people, and if you're going to be in ministry, I, I, mean, I, I I've had you know, physical threats, letter campaigns. Somebody sends letters out to everybody and every member on the church directory about what an awful person me and Jenny are. I can understand me being an awful person, but who could say that about Jenny? Yeah, right? Jenny, they're not agreeing with you. I'm sorry, hon. Um, she's watching online this morning. Love you, hon. Uh, but I have found that when people hurt me, I try to pray about it, and if God says, I want you to speak a word of truth, lovingly speak a word of truth. Many times, and more often than not, he says, forgive them and take one for me. Just keep doing the right thing and move forward. You know, it's hard sometimes to let some of those things go, isn't it? And I, in any way, trying to minimize some of the hurts that some of you all have experienced in your life. Um... But what I have discovered, and this is just something I personally have discovered, is how is it when I know that I'm making progress in letting it go and making peace with it and being able to bless someone and not curse them is when I have the ability with a, as pure heart as I can, not saying the bitterness of taste is not there or the anger of what was done, what I feel wrong to me, but that I can legitimately pray for them. There are people in this town, you know, you find it hard to believe, that don't like me at all. That I pray for that God would bless them. 
Now, maybe there were issues and consequences that needed to happen because people, we can make our own choices, but we cannot choose our own consequences. But if the person that says, I'm both people, like Paul and Barnabas, if, if, if both are convinced that what they're doing is what God wants them to do, then both of them should get busy about serving God, not stay around and fling arrows at the other one. Because at the end of the day, you and I, as the children of God, if he's called you, uh, he, which he has, if you're a believer, he's got a job for you to do, get busy doing what God's called you to do. I don't have time to sit around and har- you know, harbor over and rehash while people hurt my feelings. So if you want to know how's the scale, and it, sometimes when people have hurt me, this has taken a while. I don't want to, I'm not trying to say this morning, hey, just pray for him and it goes away. No, but the process to get to, can I get to the point where I can honestly put that person's name on my mind and say, God, I, I know what they did is wrong and it hurt me very deeply and I don't understand, but they need to make changes in their life, whatever it is, but God, I pray that they'd come to the place where their, their relationship with you is right and that you'd bless them. That's a big step. It's hard. Now, this verse is also interesting this morning. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Because this is also found very early in our Bible. Now, I almost entitled this morning's message, um, God's Foreign Policy. Because as I've shared with you, I believe this biblical principle in Romans 12 deals with individuals not national. Matter of fact, when we get into chapter number 13, if you read in Romans in the letter, in chapter 13, he gets, he starts it by talking about the role of government and that people that do the wrong thing should be afraid to do the wrong thing because of the sort of vengeance of government, that they they have this role. So we're not talking about national policy and and those kind of things. It's, It's personal relationship. And personally, I think primarily he's talking about within the believing uh, family. You see, here we're told, okay, you know, uh, bless those that persecute you. But remember back in Genesis chapter number 12, when God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees? In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families, Jew and Gentile alike, of the earth be blessed. God makes a promise, a covenant with Abraham. He tells Abraham, follow me and I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to give you. And Abraham does this and Abraham begins this walk of faith and the Bible tells us in Romans that, and in Genesis, that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. That faith has always been the essential quality. If you want to have a personal relationship with God, it only comes through faith. And remember that Abraham, God calls him to offer his own son Isaac and gives Abraham the privilege of demonstrating what God was going to do with his own son. That God would come and put on flesh and blood, but the knife would not be stayed and Jesus would die on a cross. Remember, the Bible tells that Abraham had such faith that he believed that even if God said, 
take Isaac's life, Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God comes to Abraham and then later on he comes to Isaac and then later on he comes to Jacob, father, son, grandson, and the, the promise continues. Moses knew it in Exodus chapter 3 when God was talking to Moses. God says to him, I am the, the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In Acts chapter 7, we find some 2,000 years later, Stephen and the, the Jewish people of that day, they still understood this promise that God made. Uh, Acts chapter 7, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. The Jewish people. So God makes it really clear that blessing Israel brings blessing. One of my theories about America, because as a nation, do we not really deserve God's judgment? Do you know how many innocent babies we've slaughtered in the womb? How we've flaunted our immorality before God? I've often wondered why we've even made it this far given some of our national choices, but I've always had only one reason I could really lean back on, and that is because of this promise here in Genesis chapter 12 that God has still brought blessing upon our nation in spite of our wickedness because we have been a friend to Israel. I think that's the only reason. Um, now, I want to say something. I know we're, we're live streaming. Could get some blowback, which is fine. If you don't stand for something, these are days where it's going to take a little courage. Just as we read about these Christians I'm reading about in Romans... Some of these believers that read this letter to Paul were probably some of the ones that were thrown there into the Colosseum. It was dangerous to be a Christian. It could cost your life. And yet, as much as Rome tried to stomp it out, they could not. But I want to make it clear this morning, I'm not saying that I or our church or whatever agrees with every decision the government of Israel makes any more than I agree with all the decisions the American government makes. Huh. I'd also tell you that I've had friends of mine that have gone to be missionaries in Israel itself. I had one friend of mine, the guy that we sponsored out of my first pastorate, and they were doing a church. They had their church services on Saturday night, which made a lot more sense if you know anything about Orthodox Judaism. But um, some of the local uh, rabbis found out about what he was doing and they told him to leave and he wouldn't leave and then one night he came out and they were waiting for him with a bunch of knives and they chased him down the street and he jumped in his car so they, they took their knives and popped out all, ripped out all four of his tires and he tore off their, you know, on the rims <laughs> all four of them and, you know, down, blah, 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 down the road to get away because I, I don't know, they may have killed him, I don't know. So I say this as a man that understands, you know, or some really rigid Orthodox Jews still persecute Christians. Not that Christians, if never in the name of Christ, have not persecuted Jews. So I don't agree with everything the nation or the government of Israel does. Um, but I would tell you, um, they are the only government in that area that stands for individual freedom. And while there are no Jews living in Jordan or Syria or Gaza Strip, there certainly are Arabs living inside Israel. Why is that? 
because one has freedom and security and one does not. But as Jesus said in John chapter 4, salvation is of the Jews. My Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal God, chose to become a man and was born as a Jewish man. He was born Jewish, he lived Jewish, he was crucified as a Jewish man, he resurrected as a Jewish man, he ascended as a Jewish man, and he lives in heaven as a Jewish man, and he will return as a Jewish man. That's the fact. God says in multiple places, but I chose one as an example in the Old Testament prophet of Zechariah. Zechariah 2 verse number 8 For thus saith the Lord of hosts After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you For he that toucheth you Toucheth the apple of his eye Yes God has disciplined Israel over the years As you know if you come on Wednesday night as we study our life of Messiah We find that Jesus came and offered the kingdom to that Jewish generation and they rejected it. They crucified him. And God brought judgment on them. And at AD 70, the Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem and scattered the Jewish people to the four corners of the earth. But you know, throughout the years, even churches have been a source of Jewish persecution. I didn't used to understand because I always grew up in a, a theology that understood that Israel was God's chosen people and though they, many of them have rejected Jesus, not all, um, but there was that respect. But you look into the, the history in, in, in Europe, in Poland, and all throughout Europe, you find that churches, quote-unquote, persecuted Jews in the symbol of the cross. Anti-Semitism is on a rise globally that we have not seen in a long time. And I don't know about you, but even what frightens me the most is what we're seeing in this country. Yes. Did y'all see that rally yesterday? Tens of thousands came out, tried to storm the gates of the White House, Sprayed red paint. Imagine, imagine that had been a bunch of us conservatives that were just there saying, balance the budget. There'd be news, oh, insurrection. They're at the gates demanding we only spend what we bring in. Imagine that. <laughs> and you say, well, I don't really see how Israel, you know, well, let me, let me give you just one example of many. Our wonderful United Nations, which, by the way, I wish they would just take that building and dump it into the ocean ship it over to Iran where it belongs, um, whatever. But do you know, since 2015, here's a news article, you know, so don't believe me, I'll show you a news article here um, from the Times of Israel, but you can you know, fact check this yourself. But since 2015, there's been 140 resolutions against Israel of violating human rights. The rest of the world has had 68 combined. 68. With countries like North Korea out there. With countries like Iran out there. With countries like Russia and China out there. And who gets condemned by the world? This little tiny nation. Israel is still God's chosen people. They were chosen to be the people of whom Messiah would come. 
They were chosen to be the people that would bring salvation to the world. As in the Gospels, we read Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. And even though they rejected the Messiah and God judged them and dispersed them around the world back in AD 70, they would be brought together again as a nation. They'd be regathered from everywhere. One of the great miracles and fulfilled prophecy of the Bible is where the Bible describes very specifically, I'm not going to show you these verses because I'm almost out of time, but I'm going to say them so if somebody's listening online, they want to fact check me, check out these verses, Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 to 38, Ezekiel 22, verses 17 to 22, Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 24, Isaiah 11, verses 11 and 12, and Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. If you study those verses, you'll find that God said, I'm, I'm going to disperse you to the four winds of the earth because of the sin that you committed, and, and God puts them on the shelf. He brings the church in, and the church era, and you and I are here to be the light right now, and, and he says, but I'm, time's going to come that even though that you're still under wrath, you're going to be put back together again, even in unbelief. And what happens? 1948 comes along, and I've got a copy of the picture of the Chicago Sun-Times from Saturday, May 15, 1948. Um, Israel becomes a nation again, and Jewish people pour into the current Jewish state from all over the globe. And how did they come in? Under wrath, out of World War II. They, they went through a tough time, if you don't know. Just like God said thousands of years earlier. My skeptic friends out there, have at it. I, I, I don't know how you explain that. The modern nation of Israel was reborn. Israel's a miracle people. You know, sometimes I'm asked, because I do like apologetics. I'm not nearly as gifted at it as Pastor Danny or even probably Brother Aaron. You're, you have a real passion for this. But um, one of the things that, as I talk with folks and over the years, if I'm talking to somebody who's just kind of a skeptic and maybe from an atheistic background or an agnostic background, they'll say, oh, are you Christian? I'd say there's three reasons I, I follow Christianity. The reason I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a, I'm not a Hindu, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not any of these other things. Why, why Christianity? Well, number one, because the Bible. This Jewish book, there's no book like this. There's no other religious book that, you know, this book, the, the, it covers thousands of years of history. It gives specific names, dates, places that can be verified and have been verified. It's been the most scrutinized book in the world. It's been a book that's been attacked to try to be destroyed, and yet here it is, and it is still the best-selling book of all time in humanity, period. I think it's worth evaluating what it has to say. It's unique. No other book like it. Number two... The Lord Jesus Christ, there's no person like him. There's no other religious leader that ever made the claims that Jesus made, especially the audacious one that I'm going to come back from the dead and then proved it by doing it and people saw him and people gave their lives and were slaughtered in awful ways because they refused to let go of they saw the risen Christ. There's no person like him. Reason number three is a Jewish people, there's no people group like them ever how do you explain that these people even exist I don't know 
Well, I do know. That's <laughs> called him. <laughs> a few years ago, um, friends of mine went to Israel. Braxton and Wanda. Is Wanda here? Is Wanda? I don't see Wanda back there. I think they brought this home for me for Israel, from Israel, but if not, they bought this. They, they bought me this shirt. <laughs> and and I, I, I like it. When I wear it, I do get I do get responses from this t-shirt, and I took a picture of just the front of it. This is the front of my t-shirts, t-shirt, and it says on the top, civilizations, nations, and empires that have tried to destroy the Jewish people. Ancient Egypt, remember them? They threw all the babies, Jewish babies in the water to be eaten by the alligators. What's wrong? Where, where, where are the pharaohs? They're gone. The Philistines, they're gone. The Assyrian Empire, they're gone. The Babylonian Empire, they're gone. The Persian Empire, they're gone. The Greek Empire, they're gone. The Roman Empire, they're gone. The Byzantine Empire, they're gone. The Christian Crusaders, they're gone. The Spanish Empire, it's gone. Nazi Germany, it's gone. The Soviet Union, it's gone. Then it says Iran, question mark. Now, let me say that there's a lot of believers in Iran, and maybe there's some that maybe listen to this broadcast. For a long time on our, on our uh, sermon audio, Iran was one of the next, to the, to next to America, I think the next country that downloaded, is that right, Woody, there for a while? And Turkey. Yeah. Our ministry is going places. So there might be people, listen, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Iran. We have them in Turkey. We have them in Syria. And we have them in the Gaza Strip. I am not in any way thrilled that innocent people are going to die and already have died. But you know, as Americans, I got my 9-11 tie on here. We went to Iraq and are still there because it was in our national security and I was in favor of that. We went to Afghanistan for 20-some years and I personally think we should still in some form be there because it was our security interest. We, in World War II, we dropped two nuclear bombs on two cities I don't think it only killed military-age men. Why? Because we didn't want to send American soldiers to in, have to land on Japan proper, and we had a tough choice to make. War is awful, but it's the reality, and yet now the world doesn't want Israel to be in there for 20 days. So this morning, we're going to end things today a little bit differently. I prayed about this and the Lord said, I want you to do something a little crazy. Uh, so we're going to do something a little crazy at, at the end of the service. All right, we're going we to, we got a big Jewish American friendship flag that we're going to put right out front. Now, I don't know. It might, it might get vandalized. I don't know. I got another one coming. <laughs> a friend of mine, one of, one of you odd Baptists told me this week, said, We'll just buy more. I thought, you're on it. We'll just buy more. Um, and, um, but even in these difficult times, you know, I, I want to love people, whether they be Jewish people, Palestinian people, Iranian. I want to love people. But as Americans, and as somebody who values and loves freedom, I say, let freedom ring. Yes. Amen? Amen? 
Lord Jesus, thank you for the teaching of your word this morning. Help us as we have interpersonal relationships inside the church. Help us to be kind to one another. Uh, even when those who've done us wrong, help us to move on in our service to you. Uh, Lord, we do lift up our nation. We lift up our military personnel. We lift up President Biden and the administration. Um, God, I pray you'd move. Uh, help America remain the friend of Israel. Lord, I pray there'd be minimal loss of life, um, that a quick victory would be won, that peace would be restored. Uh, Lord, I pray if there's one here today who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, there's never been a time where they made peace with you. Lord, may they recognize that their sin has them separated from you, that someone's got to pay for that sin, that you decided and you said, I'll, I'll pay for it, and you came and became one of us, that you could identify with us and you took our place on the cross, took our sin upon yourself, died in my place, and then by your power rose again and offered me eternal life by faith. If we'll just believe you for it, you're offering it. Would you receive that gift, my dear friend, today? The Bible says, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Would you trust him today? Holy Spirit of God, seal decisions and hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with me? And uh, we're going to sing a verse of invitation here.